technical difficulties this morning. And so for those of you that are on Facebook, uh, we want to welcome you again. Um, thank you for joining us today in worship. And uh, um, Casey, thank you for the prayer. Uh, as she said, I am not feeling good today. Um, it is uh, a, new, a new medication that my doctor and I are trying is not agreeing with me real well. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, I'm here, but I'm going to sit down and uh, I'm probably going to make this a little bit shorter than normal, which nobody's going to complain about, right? Um, you get to go go easier. Um, and so, uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, last week we talked about All In, and uh, we started our All In series, and it's a, it's a big series for the life of our church, um, and I and, and, and think that that's part of, you know, the spiritual warfare that, that feels like it might be going on in some areas of our church uh, this week and this morning, um, because it's going to shape our lives, our individual lives, but it's also going to shape our church. As we, as we transform as an individual, the greater organization that we're a part of then transforms. And so if you decide to go all in and you dive all in and you, you start to instill these things that Scripture is teaching us through this, you're going to change, which is going to change us for the better. And so really excited. Last week we talked about um, denying yourself and taking up your cross daily and following Jesus and what that meant and, and what it meant to proclaim who do you say I am and today we're going to dive into when we say who do you say I am we're going to cha change a little bit and we're going to lay down a foundation of what our life being all in should be um, when we say who do you say I am we're talking about Jesus um, Jesus is the Christ he's the Messiah and for us how do we know that well, for us to know that Jesus is the Christ, then we have to be grounded and rooted in something that gives us that. Something that gives us that, that truth, that, that truth that we can, can hold tangibly and do that. And so today, it's why must I know the word? And if you're like me, this is one of probably 75 Bibles that I own over the life over my life like they just kind of gather and I get free ones sent to me all the time and so they just go on my bookshelf so if you need a Bible I can give you a Bible um, but then you know we have access on our phones if you, the Uversion app is the most downloaded app in the history of apps um, and it's the Bible app and we can get all sorts of different translations different languages um, we have it available to us but we don't really read it or know it for a lot of us right like it's there, we, I think we take it for granted. And, and when we take it for granted, we don't truly realize the power that we have in this. It says that it is a sword. The scripture says that it is a sword. It is a, it is a weapon against evil because it lays out foundations for us to be able to know. So why must we know the word? Well, there's several reasons why we must know the word. But the very first thing that we need to start with in order no, to why we must know the word is that it's God's word. It is God's. It's, it's, it's God's words to us. If you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It is the way that God trains us. 
way he teaches us, the way he disciplines us, the way he shapes us, the way he molds us is through these words. He gave it to men. He inspired men to write it. He breathed it out to them to write it. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And it continues in verse 18. It says, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So these two passages tell us, and there's other passages all throughout Scripture that talk about this, that this book, these Scriptures, are God's words to us. And so when we lay that foundation, if, if we want to follow God, if we want to have a relationship with him, if this is how he talks to us mainly today, then we need to ground our lives in the foundation of the word. But this is very, it causes all sorts of controversies throughout history, especially today. And so I, I Googled, I wanted to know, why should a church be Bible-based? Why should a church be Bible-based? I wanted to see what the Google told us. And so as I did that, I came across this article from a guy named Adam Erickson, and it was very interesting. It was very interesting to me because he almost gets it right. He almost gets it right. But here's some things that he says in there that take him off course. Because his direction is that you should run from a Bible-believing church. You should not be a part of a Bible-believing church. It's kind of weird, right? That's God's word. It's kind of weird. This is what he says. He said, Bible-believing churches tend to think that the Bible is the very word of God. Okay. I think I agree with that. Supernaturally inspired in every word and absolutely free from error in the original documents. God's word is the final authority in all that it says. Therefore, it must be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. I agree with that statement. But he's using that as a statement that's false. He's saying this is not accurate. He continues and he says, The Bible contains human testimony about how God works in the world, but it is not God's inerrant word. The Bible points beyond itself to God and in the New Testament to the God revealed in Jesus. The Bible even claims that Jesus is the word of God, not the Bible itself. Now, if I didn't know better, and the article continues, and it's a very interesting article. If I didn't know better, I could find myself agreeing with the things that he's saying. In fact, we see this all throughout the the Christian world today people twist the things that are said. And I have no issue, in fact, I saw several people in the comments of this article say this, I have no issue saying that this is heretical. 
the way he's approaching it. And he says that, and, and, and I agree with this statement. He says that what we have done wrong, and I don't necessarily agree with this part of the statement, but I agree with the principle of the statement, is that we have raised the Bible to the point of being in the Trinity or above that. And that's not an accurate depiction of what we should view the Bible as. Because the Trinity is God three in one. Remember, we spent the summer talking about that. But when we read the scriptures, that's where we learn about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we have to hold a high view of scripture for us to follow what God is asking us to do. We have to ground our faith in scripture, in the word. In fact, I wanted to see the counter-argument to that. And so I went to the Southern Baptist Convention's website, to our statement of beliefs, which is called the Baptist Faith and Message. Because I wanted to see what their look at it was. And the very first one that popped up, the very first article of, of the Baptist Faith and Message is about the scriptures. And this is what the definition is. This is what the Southern Baptist Convention official statement is on the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It is God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error, for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is, and will remain to the end of the world. The true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried, all scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. This book is God's breathed, spoken word that is truth. Because if it's not truth, then that goes against what God has shown us to be because God is truth. And so if, if there's errors in here and it's God breathed and God inspired, then it's worthless, which makes our faith not worth a whole lot either. So when we realize that the first thing we need to know about why we should know the word is that it's God's word, that helps us look at it in a different context. The second thing I want us to look at is it increases our capacity to worship. It increases our capacity to worship. And when we talk about worship here, a lot of times we talk about the songs that we sing on Sunday. And that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a lifestyle of worship. It increases our capacity to worship. Look at what John 4, 23 and 24 says. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, if this is truth, then we must worship through this. And there's worship songs all throughout Scripture. All throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, you see people respond in song. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Habakkuk responding in the Shigenoth song at the, in Habakkuk 3. He responds in worship. But as we dive into God's word, as we start to look throughout God's word at the different things that he's teaching us, the different things he shows us, as his truths are revealed to us, our capacity to worship this God grows. We begin to understand. And I was having a conversation the other day 
um, with someone about how I'll say, oftentimes I'll say, if you're not a believer or if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't understand what we do on Sunday mornings. And that is so true because if you don't understand that this book is life, if it is truth-giving life or life-giving truth, then you can't understand what it means to worship. But as you dig deep into the scriptures and you read the stories and you see God's promises and how they are kept and fulfilled and the prophecies come to pass, as we dive deeper into it and then we get into the New Testament and we, as we see in the Old Testament God rescuing the Israelites over and over again, even though they didn't deserve it, and then we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus living out the gospel. And then we continue through the, Old, the New Testament to, to, to the, the books of prophecy and to Revelation, and it talks about the future. And we learn about God's love for us through that. Then our capacity to worship him grows. It grows. When I was growing up, I was about eight years old. I went to my first Texas Rangers game. My first game at the old, this was before the ballpark in Arlington. This was Arlington Stadium. If you ever went to Arlington Stadium, it was a dump. It was horrible. But I was in heaven because I loved baseball. And I was eight years old, and, and I went, and I just soaked it in. I didn't know much about what was going on. I didn't know the strategies. I didn't know anything about stats. I didn't know any of that stuff. But I soaked it in, and I enjoyed it. But as I got older, and I began to really fall in love with the Texas Rangers baseball team. I began to follow their statistics. I began to look for people that wrote blogs that would give me insight into what the, 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 the front office that makes all the personnel decisions is doing and, and what the, the, the future prospects that are in the minor leagues are doing. And I started to, to learn more and more and more about the Texas Rangers as an organization. And it allowed me to appreciate more who they were. My capacity to appreciate them was bigger. My capacity as I dive into God's word and I learn more about him, my capacity to worship him because I know more about him increases. So we ground ourselves in God's word because it's his word, and we ground ourselves in God's word because it increases our capacity to worship but then we also ground ourselves in God's word because it's commanded to us. It's commanded to us to know God's word. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you don't know it, you can't teach it, right? And if we're commanded to teach all that we have commanded us, we have to know what we're supposed to teach. I will never forget my first day teaching fifth grade science. I knew nothing about fifth grade science. I was such a faker in that room. And I still don't know much about fifth grade science. But then I moved to seventh grade science and I still didn't know much. I was like, where do I begin? I don't know what to do. I had some great co-workers that taught me what I needed to know and I taught seventh grade science for three years by that third year of teaching that guess what I didn't even have to look up anything I mean I knew what I had to teach I knew the things that the state wanted us to focus on 
so that the kids would be fully taught the science curriculum. I knew exactly where I was supposed to go with it because I had learned it. That first year of teaching seventh grade science, it was like, whoa, whoa, when do we get to the frogs? That's all I cared about because I could fake my way through that. But by that third year, it was like, no, you need to realize. And I was able, this was what was so cool about it. I was able in my classroom to point them towards God because of the creation that he's made. Because I knew it, and then when I knew it, I could reconcile it to my faith. When I know the word, I can teach the word to others. I can lead others along their journey. I can help them grow. God commands us. It's the Great Commission. Go therefore throughout the world and teach, the, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We've got to know it to teach it. And then, probably the most important thing here when it comes to knowing God's word is we need it. We need God's word. How many times have you heard that the reason our education system is so bad is because they took prayer and the Bible out of school? And I agree with that statement. Why? Because we need it. We need it. If you look at Acts 2.42, the formation of the early church, Acts 2.42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice, that comes first. They were taught, and then they fellowshiped, then they broke bread together, and then they prayed. Because when you know, when you're taught something and you learn it, it changes the perspective of everything. Now, I remember this was probably the weirdest moment, one of the weirdest moments in all of my ministry. I was... Um, a student pastor in the Tulsa area and I was I was teaching one day on the parable of the fig tree and I was talking about how Jesus cursed the fig tree and and if we stayed inside the walls of the church the church building would become the fig tree and Jesus would curse the 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 church building because we were not focused on the outside we were focused on the inside and this girl she was eighth grade ninth grade just blurts out you're wrong okay, what do I do? And she's like, we have to know God. She's like, we have to know God first. We can't go outside the church until we know God, and then we can. And if you think about it, like she was totally missing my point, but she was right. We got to know God. God can use anybody. God can use somebody that doesn't know him but has heard the gospel to share the gospel with someone. He can, because that's what God does. But we can't fully develop followers of Christ outside the walls of our church. We can't fully make an impact in our community if we don't know God. It just doesn't happen. Because then we get caught up on things on the inside. If we lose sight of the things that God is saying here in Scripture, we get off track and we head in the wrong direction and so what we have to do is look at 
why it's so hard to learn the word. And I found an article from the Gospel Co- Coalition, a writer named Andrea Tom, and she had seven points. I just want to read them to you because I think this is really, really accurate for a lot of us. I want you to try and put yourself in the shoes of the things that she says. Why is it so hard to learn the word? Well, first, it's hard and time-consuming. Yes. We live in a busy, busy, busy society that doesn't have time to sit and stop and read the word in our minds. Especially if it's difficult and I don't understand it. How many of you have read Leviticus lately? It's difficult and hard to understand, and it takes a lot of time. The second thing, the second reason it's difficult to learn the word is that it can be boring. No one responds to that. But you're all like, yeah, right on. I know you're thinking that because it can be. Right? You sit here and you're like, you get into some of these books in the Old Testament and you're just like, please, God, can I fast forward to Matthew? Because it just gets tedious and boring at times. Third, the enemy is attacking. You ever sit down and say, I'm going to start a daily quiet time. I'm going to start my day every day spending some time in the Word. And you sit down and you get your, your, your whole little setup going you sit down at your bible or at your table you pull your bible out you get your cup of coffee there you got your journal and you you start getting ready to read and you look at it and you're like oh that's a good instagram picture and you take a picture and you post it to instagram and then you go onto instagram and then you completely get engaged into that and next thing you know your time's up and you haven't spent any time in the word that's the enemy distracting you Just like when you try and have a time of silent, personal prayer, how many of your minds race to everything you've never thought of before? Yes. The fourth thing she says is, and I love this, especially in our consumeristic, materialistic society, it's hard to learn the word because it doesn't give us what we want. It doesn't give us what we want. We read it. They're like, that didn't tell me anything I wanted to hear. That told me to do the exact opposite. I don't want to confess my sin. I want to keep that a secret. I don't want to give my money to the church. That's my money. It doesn't give us what we want. The fifth thing is it's not practical. So much of what the scriptures are are counterintuitive to the way we've lived our lives. And it's not practical for us to think in those terms. Number six it doesn't engage my emotions. You ever felt that? Why am I not feeling the presence of God today as I read this? My emotions aren't in touch with what Scripture says. And then seven, I love this one. My church doesn't help me. My church doesn't help me read the Bible and know the Word. I went to a a conference a long time ago. 14, 15 years ago, and it was a a large church, and they had done a study, a research study of a lot of different churches, and I love, I love statistics and and looking at at surveys and things like that, and and they found that people were at five stages in their journey, and uh, in their journey with Christ, and the very first stage was that they were, you know, exploring Christianity, they're exploring Christ, they don't know anything about it, second, they're a new believer, third, 
um, they're growing, fourth, they're um, developing maturity, and then five, they were a fully developed follower of Christ. And the interesting thing that I saw about that was as you went along that journey from one to five, the first four always relied on someone else to tell you what to do. The first four always, the responses were, the church gives me what to study. Or I know I, I received this from someone. I, the pastor sends out an email with a daily devotional or something like that. It's all given to me. And then when you got to level five, which was a fully developed follower of Christ, they took ownership. They didn't rely on others to feed them. They fed themselves. They got into the word and they were able to break it down and to learn it. They had fallen in love with the scriptures. When you're all in, you want to get to the point that you take ownership of your journey with, with Christ and your, your journey through the scriptures. So how do we make those seven things a whole lot easier in our life? Well, you got to change your perspective. you got to change your pr- perspective. Many people look at this as just God's word. And that's okay because it is God's word. We've already established that fact. And we want to learn it because it teaches us about God. But when we change our view of what these scriptures are, it helps us. When we decide that we want to know the Bible, because when we know the Bible, we get to know Jesus, that changes everything in our outlook of scripture. Adam Erickson was saying, you know, we're elevating the Bible above Jesus. And there are some places that probably do that. But when we take the Bible and we look at it from a Christological view, and what I mean by that is the Bible is all about Jesus from the beginning to the end. That changes everything. Because without Jesus, we have nothing, right? We have no hope. We have no, no um, future, no joy. We have nothing. His death, burial, and resurrection is the central, central point of human history. And the Bible is all about him. In fact, Jesus is present in the Old Testament and the New Testament. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word here for word is logos. And logos here means Jesus. Jesus was there in the beginning. In the beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. It's part of the Trinity. But the term logos also applies to God's word. It's a little play on words there, but when you look throughout scripture, you can see Jesus present. In fact, in Luke 24, 26, and 27, we see a reference to Moses talking about Jesus, not necessarily by name, but it says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And then verse 27 says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted the scriptures. To them all, the scriptures. 
the things concerning himself. Jesus is speaking and says, Moses, the very beginning of the Old Testament, the prophets, they spoke of me. The Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then the, the Gospel of John, all speak of Jesus. All throughout the rest of the New Testament speak of Jesus. And then the book of Revelation glorifies that Jesus is coming again. Scripture is all about Jesus. So when you change your perspective and you realize that when you get into this book, you're going to learn more about Jesus, it changes it. It changes it. Changed my perspective on it. Because there's times that I'm in it going, man, do I have to read more than one chapter today? Oh, let me look for Jesus in this chapter. Let me look for the gospel in this chapter. How can I connect the gospel of Jesus Christ to what's happening in the book of Job? How can I connect the reason that Paul is willing to be beaten and suffer for the gospel to Jesus Christ? That one's a lot easier than, than others, but, but look for it that way. But here's the thing, the foundation for going all in, as we talk about going all in, and we've got several more things items, several more parts of our life that we need to go all in with, but the foundation for going all in is grounding yourself in the Word of God. When you begin and say, tomorrow morning, or this afternoon, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start reading. I'm going to start reading. Where do I start reading? Start reading in John. Read John 1. If you want to start on October 1st, read Proverbs 1. Read Proverbs 2 on October 2nd. Just just get in the Word and begin to study the Word. And I recognize that some of us have a hard time with that because we don't know where to go. We're still in, in, some of us are in level one, level two. A lot of us are in level three or four. Very few of us are at level five. And we're looking for helps to get there. Well, there's a couple different things that the church offers for us to do that. The first thing is, as Casey mentioned earlier, is this Wednesday night I'm going to start a class called foundations and the whole purpose of that class is for us to take our doctrinal statement so basically the baptist faithful message line it up with scripture why do we believe what we believe but what throughout church history and what throughout our heritage helped us formulate that this is the truth because i don't know about you but i remember for a long time i believe that this book is the divinely inspired word of god I do. I've never questioned that. But I also know that there's other books that have been written, such as the Gospel of Thomas, things like that. And I struggled with, the apostles wrote many of the books of the Bible, but how did they choose what went in our Bible today, in what we call the canon? And who chose the men, because that was three or four hundred years later, who chose the men, what made them so great? I struggled with that. So we're going to look at things like that. And I think that will help you really go deeper into, into your work. The second thing that will help you do this is get involved in a life connection group. Get involved in a life connection group. They meet at 945s for one more week. 
And then on October 3rd, we're going to back up to 930 um, because we've got a lot of, we, we just need more of a transition time. And we want to give those groups, because um, be honest, nobody ever shows up at 945, right? You show up at 10 or 1015 or 1045. I'm like, why are you done already? Um, but we want to be able to give a full time for those life connection groups to really do what they do best. And that's create relationships, create connection, and study God's word. So we're going to back it up to 930. It's just 15 minutes earlier. Um, and so, you know, just set an alarm and you'll be good. And then the third thing is, and this is something that's not going to be a big push throughout our church because this involves a lot more time commitment. This involves a lot more time commitment. But if you look at Jesus' life, he had the 12 disciples that he was close to, but he had three that he was especially close to. If you look at Paul's ministry, he came in contact with a lot of people, but he had a small number of people that he was very close to, that he poured their lives into. We call those D groups for us. And what those are is that's a group of three to four men or three to four women that meet every week or so, and they they have a, a, a discipleship guide to dig into the word about why we should be doing this stuff and, and why why we should be, be learning and, and how can we encourage each other, how can we hold each other accountable, how can we sharpen each other. And it's just a great time. It's a time of growth. But it takes a time commitment because it's not on Sunday mornings. It's at a time that's convenient for each of you, and you've got to make a commitment that you're going to be part of this group for at least a year. Then you have to make a commitment that after that year, year and a half, you're actually going to break up, and you're going to start new ones, and you're going to find some more people to do that. And I recognize that there's some people in our church that you're sitting there going, that's what I need. That's what I've been missing. But I don't know where to start. So we're going to make it real easy for you today. If you will, on the screen, if you will look at the number and text the word DGROUP to 833-621-2435. If you want to be part of a D group that meets once, uh, uh, once every 7 to 10 days for a year to 18 months with, with two to three other men or two to three other women to sharpen each other and disciple each other, text DGROUP to 833-621-2435. Make sure you put a space between D group. Um, and, uh, uh, and we will start to gather those and connect you with each other to let you be a part of it. We'll resource you for it. And it has the potential to change your life. That's going all in. That's making a commitment to get into God's word and making it your foundation. So I encourage you to be a part of that. We, we, we have several different opportunities to, to, to grow in God's word and my hope is that we expand that even more um, so that we are making a difference in teaching the truth, living the truth, and changing the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gift of your word that you've given us. This gift that's a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And I pray that you will impress upon us that to know you is to know your word. To see the things that you have designed for us, they come out of scripture. 
And when things seem so bleak, we can look at the promises that you fulfilled, the promises you've kept, and know that you are in control. Father, I don't want to leave here today if there's, no, if there's someone here that's never heard the truth about you, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross, to live a perfect, sinless, blameless life, to die on the cross, that in that death, he took all of our sins, everything that we are not, everything we're ashamed of, everything we've done that, that breaks the relationship between us and you, Lord. He took all of our sin every little one to the cross with him. He took it to the death so that three days later when he rose again, we're free. We're free. We're no longer slaves to sin. And we have the gift of eternal life. All we have to do is profess that and ask you to be our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that if there's anyone love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're not going to do a, a typical response time, but I, here's what I want you to, to know. If you, we're going to sing a song, and if you would like to talk to someone, there's some deacons in the back. Um, Eddie Willie's over here. Um, I, I would just encourage you to go talk to them, um, and, and there's you know, no pressure to have to walk up front, um, and I just encourage you to go, and, and they'll pray with you, and they'll talk with you, um, because they love Jesus, and they love you. And uh, so if you would, would you stand with me and sing?